Welcome to our continued series on the book of Psalms. We're doing that expository teaching, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We believe it's important to really let the Word of God speak to us, not just pick our favorite verses and preach it time and time again, or favorite subject and preach it time and time again, but to really hear from the Word of the Lord and be almost forced in a way to contend with some things the Scripture would challenge us on. And as a result of that, the outcome of that could be new ways of living for the Lord and loving the Lord and walking with the Lord and overcoming some of the difficulties and some of the sin we face in our own life. We're in Psalm chapter 26 today, and I want to pray first, then we're going to read and go into the teaching of the Word. Pray with me, if you would, please. Holy Spirit, we, we not only uh, want you to take over this time of preaching and of hearing the Word, but we want you to, more than that, penetrate our hearts, change our lives, make us new people because the word is that sharp sword it 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 separates things that don't belong in us from things that do belong into us and 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 I just pray lord that you would grace me in my weakness that you would be strong today in 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 the weakness of those listening maybe tired maybe weary maybe broken hearted maybe stirred in passions that are not legitimately the things that you would have for them and they're trying to overcome we pray, God, that your word would be that hammer that breaks those things and that sword that pierces these things. And, and the balm of Gilead, that means the healing oil of the Lord, the Holy Spirit would be upon this message. We give thanks for that in Jesus' name. We thank you that David wrote this psalm through the Holy Spirit's inspiration. We thank you that we can teach it. We thank you that we can hear it. And we can thank you that we can live a life full of the things of God because of it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open it up to Psalm chapter 26. I hope you're enjoying this series. We have been going at it for many, many months now, and it's going to take us a few more years, but it's going to be worth it all when we complete this and have this, uh, this, this idea of all that God is trying to communicate through us. Psalm chapter 26, verse 1 of David, vindicate me or declare me innocent is another way of saying that. Vindicate me or declare me innocent, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted the Lord without wavering. That's quite a bold statement. I, I want to be able to claim that, declare that as well. Prove me, O Lord, and try me, and test my heart and my mind. He's asking for four things. Vindicate me, prove me, try me, test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes. He's speaking here of the way, the way we should bring our need to the Lord when we're in trouble, when we have problems, that we would bring these things to the Lord. And I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocent, and I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of all your wonderful deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your Glory dwells. What a magnificent word here. I, I love that house where your glory dwells. Do not sweep me away with uh, sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. I want to talk to you today about taking our problems 
into God's presence, taking our problems into God's presence. If you have a problem, if you're in a crisis, if you're under the gun, so to speak, if you're overwhelmed, if certain things in your life are going in ways that cause you to have a dilemma of heart, there's a place you can go. There's a, a remedy for you. There's, there's a, a presence for you that God has available to you, no matter what your crisis, no matter what your situation. Nothing's too difficult for the Lord, and you're going to find that in his presence is fullness of joy. That joy combats the tension of the day, the stress of the day, the anxieties of life, the crisis that we find ourselves in is contended with when the Lord's presence is in your life and you find that joy. So David is in some kind of situation here. He's finding himself in a difficult place. And, you know, as I've been doing this series on the book of Psalms, and maybe you have noticed this as you, if you've been tracking with me in these first 25 and now on to 26, is that that David is constantly overwhelmed with difficulties. Uh, I, I sometimes feel like I have some of these, but not near the depth or the persistence of them or the consistency of them or the pressure of them or the depth of them. So David is a, a, a great schoolmaster for us to show us what, what to do when we find ourselves in problems and problems sometimes that overwhelm us. This problem that he's facing, we find in verse um, we find it in, in verse 4 and 5, and then in 9 and 10. This, this describes the problem where I, I want to start with this. I, I do not sit with men of falsehood. So, so he's surrounded with men of falsehood. They're liars. Not only that, he says, I do not consort with hypocrites. This idea of consorting means planning together. It reminds me of Psalm chapter 2, uh, where it says, Why do people imagine vain things and plot in vain against the Lord? Uh, and that was speaking, really, David was, was forecasting of, of speaking against what would happen against Jesus, that men, evil men would plot against him. But it happened to David, and it happens to us as well. And he's saying, I'm not going to consort. I'm not going to plan. I'm not going to plot. I'm not going to sit. I'm not going to program with them. Verse 5, and I hate the assembly of evildoers. We don't use the word hate very often in the New Testament times in our culture particularly. We don't like to, to speak that. Uh, much in depth, the, 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 the conflict we have with evil, we, we want to say we're gracious towards them or we're long-suffering or we're kind, and certainly we should have that kind of spirit within us. But there's also something in God's heart that should be in our hearts that, that we would hate to assemble in that format. We would hate to live that kind of life, and we hate the outcome of what they do. We hate the fact that the, the result of evildoers has caused children to be abused, uh, societies to fall apart, wars to start, just famines to take place because of the, the people sweeping away the food into their own granaries. We, we see these evildoers, and, and David is saying the same thing. He says, I hate that these things happen. Because the more you hate these things, the less likely you are to compromise when they're drawing you in. And I won't sit with the wicked. Verse 6, I wash my hands in innocence. I want nothing to do with them, is what he's saying. Uh, just put them away from me. Don't even let them get near me. Uh, I, I want to go to another place where they're dwelling. I see they're over here. I want to go over there. I want to run from these things. And then verse 9, do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor with bloodthirsty men. These are violent men. These, these are men who are living in their sin. They've, they've been swept away. They, they, it's like a, a, a tsunami of sin that they find themselves under. And David's saying, don't let my soul get swept away with these things. Keep me, protect me, watch over me. Let me find a place when all these problems are overwhelming me to come into your presence. The, the, do not sweep me away with sinners, nor 
my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and in whose right hands are full of bribes. Here's the problem David is facing. That is, here's why he's crying out to the Lord, vindicate me or declare me innocent because these men apparently, uh, while he, why he's listing them in here, have accused him of something. Uh, and I, here's what I believe they've accused him of because they are, they're evil devices. In the Hebrew, that word is interesting. It means sinister schemes. That's profound. They're sinister men. They're, they're plotting certain things. They're, they have these wicked schemes. And, and the Hebrew word of sinister schemes goes even deeper. It has a connotation of lewdness or perversity. What is he saying here is these men are perverse in their mind, sexually lewd. They're always thinking in terms of, of perverted thoughts. And, and they, they're scheming these perverted thoughts for things to happen in society. Sounds like America today politicians and government leaders and courts and social uh, cultural leaders are, are, have these sinister schemes to promote lewdness, to promote perversity, to pr pr promote uh, transgenderism to kindergarten students, to show uh, transgender uh, uh, dancing to kids going to school. There, there is this gross darkness. Isaiah 60 uh, says there's gross darkness that covers the earth. This is, what, this is what David is facing. These are sinister schemes and lewdness. And, and, and he has to wash his hands because somehow they're, they have connected. There's, he, he saw them or he, he was invited to sit with them. He was invited to consort with them. He was invited to assemble with them and he refuses. He washes his hands. And my assumption as I read this scripture is they got angry because he would not join in their folly, their foolishness, their sin. How many of you are listening to me today have people around you sometimes, or maybe your history was you walked with people who were addicted or who were stealing or who were corrupt in their business practices or, or, or who were, were living in a sexual immorality, a party situation, a drinking situation. You, 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 you ran with the crowd, but then all of a sudden, Jesus touched your heart. He set you free. You saw the, the glory and the goodness of God and it pulled you away from that. You washed your hands and you were free. And all of a sudden, they began to hate you. They began to despise you. They began to ask you, oh, you're better than me. See, you see, what happened to them is your new righteousness, your newfound conviction convicted them of their sin. As long as everybody was going in their sin, they saw no contrast. But when they saw there was a way of escape and they weren't entering into it, they weren't surrendering their life to the righteousness of Christ, all of a sudden, they became angry with you. I have heard several times of people that were drug addicts, hardcore drug addicts. I mean, almost near death. And their families received them and worked with them and talked with them and lived with them and walked like them. But when they got saved and set free, maybe they went to Teen Challenge or another program, or maybe it was just a miracle of Jesus touching their life and they got set free. You know what? What they saw is when they went back to their family and rejoiced and gave their testimony, their families were more angry at them for coming to Jesus than they were that they were a drug addict or that they were stealing or that they were in jail. They, they liked them better when they were in their sin because it didn't convict them. It didn't show them another way. It didn't prove to them that their life was wrong and it could be better, it could be different, that Jesus could change their life. And what happens then is, I believe, is the same thing that happened to David. They begin to uh, lie, lie about you. They, they begin to, to be hypocrites saying one thing and doing another. They are men of falsehood. They tell lies about you. And uh, it also says here they have schemes and they are full of bribes. Bribing people, and I believe here's what's happening with David, bribing people saying, hey, 
Let's accuse David of this. Let's trap him in that. Let's convict him of this. Let's, let's get the world to think this of him. David was faced that many times in his life. If you read the story of the life of David, you'll see time and time again, he was falsely accused. And yet he's trusting the Lord. He's asking the Lord to deliver him. He's asking the Lord the same thing we ask. Lord, there's people around me that don't understand me. There's people around me that hurt me. There's people around me that say things about me that aren't true. There's people around me that, that despise me because of my faith or because of my righteousness or because I'm willing to, to, to trust in you rather than them. And, and we can get hurt by this. And David is pleading with the Lord, vindicate me or declare me innocent for I have walked in my integrity. You see, when this cry for vindication is, is important because false accusation is so harmful. Uh, I just noticed this online recently. Uh, from, a, from a time back up to the year 2020, 2,500 wrongly convicted felons have been exonerated and set free from prison. 2,500 just in the past few years. The total number of years that they were serving or would have been serving if they would have continued in their in their jail sentence would have been 22,500 years. 20 of them were on death row and they were released after their DNA results proved them innocent. Imagine the horror knowing that you didn't kill that woman and having the judge and the jury claim that you did. Imagine the day sitting in that dank prison cell with, 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 with men around you that, that could harm you, cause death in your life. Imagine feeling the longing for your family, knowing that you're sitting there in that prison, innocent. Imagine how the family felt, the children, the little kids, their father is now in prison for life, maybe on death row, their, their schoolmates, what would they say about, oh, you're, we've read about your father, or the wife that the man is wondering if she's gonna be with another man soon, and that you're soon going to die for a crime that you did not commit, false accusations false claims against you can be deadly. Now, the reality is rarely any of us are going to find that extreme, but we find it in lesser ways, but also in harmful ways. We find wrong judgment about us can be a very serious evil. In its least case scenario, it causes our heart to be broken. It causes relationships to break. It causes churches to divide. It, it, it causes communities to have a breakdown within them. It causes people to be against one another. It causes workplaces to have have difficulties that are going on in our life. And, and, and so this cry for vindication is so important in our life. And what do we do when we're falsely accused? Or what we do, what do we do when we've separated and washed our hands from the crowd and now they're despising us and they're trying to pull us back in, tempting us, come on, come back, just one more time, one more party, one more situation. Come on, just, just, just uh, you know, don't tell the boss that we took this and they want you to join in and because you don't, they, they accuse you falsely. So, so you have two dilemmas, two problems you're facing now. What do you do that? You cry to the Lord, vindicate me, Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Now, this is, this is almost bizarre that, that David could claim this. David was a man after God's own heart, and certainly he was a man, I believe he's telling the truth, he did walk in integrity. But it's, it's difficult to, to hear him say this when you know his history. You, you could almost say he sounds arrogant. He, he sounds boastful. He sounds like he's, he, he's overconfident in who 
he is and what he's accomplished in his life is concerning purity in his walk. He, he, he's saying he, he, he's just, he's constantly walking in integrity, but you look at his history and you know he's, he's committed adultery. You know that, that he's stolen another man's wife. You know that he has put that man in the front lines. Could you imagine if Uriah had lived and hearing David saying, I walk in my integrity and knowing that he had taken his wife? What, or what about the captain who David said, put Uriah in the front lines and then withdraw all your troops? What if that man read this and, and he heard David say, I walk in my integrity? Would he go, <laughs> yeah, some integrity. You, you put me in a place of having to have one of my soldiers unprotected and brought forth his death. And not only that, he goes on to say, I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Who of us could say that? I've never wavered in the Lord. When you see David through many of his Psalms, he seems to be wavering. He says, why so downcast on my soul? How long, O Lord, how long? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? Days without number. He seems to be at various times wavering. Well, the question then we ask ourselves, so what do we, how do we deal with this? Is, is, again, is he boasting? Is he arrogant? Is he overconfident? Or does he know something that we need to know? That's what I believe. He knows something that we need to know. Number one, I would say this is not a boast. This is not arrogance uh, and, and because he's not asking, he's not claiming here sinless perfection. He knows his sin. Chapter 25, five different times. This is the ver chapter right before what we're studying today. And in chapter 25, which many scholars and commentaries say 25 and 26 really are one note, are, are one letter, are one one. Uh, main theme that that progresses, even though there's a chapter division, they are they're connected together, and the connection is in chapter 25. Five different times, he calls upon God because of the struggle of sin in his life, and the outcome of that struggle of sin. If you didn't hear last uh, episode of, of, of listen to chapter 25, you you'll know that he he's he's saying I'm lonely and I'm afflicted. That's verse 16 and verse 17. The troubles of my heart enlarge. Bring me out of my distress. Uh, the, the, he, he's talking about all these things because verse 11, he says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt for it is great. Five times he's talking about sin and he puts a capstone on it by saying, pardon my guilt for it is great. On one hand, he's saying my guilt is great, pardon me. He's repeating time and time again, five times I'm a sinner. Now all of a sudden he's saying, uh, uh, I walk in integrity. I wash my hands of innocent. I trust the Lord without wavering. How can this be? Because he's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about what happens when you take this thing to the Lord into his presence and you five times repeat over and again, Lord, pardon me. My sin is great. His, his guilt is great. Look at this, this turnaround in understanding himself is powerful because of the work that he trusts that God can do in his life. That, that repentance of sin is not just some random thought. It's not just um, sending up uh, good vibes to the heavens. It's really trusting and believing the Lord that the confession of our sin does bring, the repentance of our sin does bring a cleansing, a purification, a redemption, a freedom from uh, a breaking of that. And not only that, of the history that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west, that they're forgotten, that they're no longer remembered by the Lord, that you are now clean in the Lord. That's why we need to be able to do like David's doing. I would say that he understands it's not sinless perfection, but he also understands that his righteousness is in God. And even looking forward to it, 
teaching us that our righteousness needs to be in Christ. When we are righteous in Christ, when he has washed us, when he has cleansed us, it's important to be able to say with David, I walk in integrity. I don't waver in my following after you. How can we say that? Well, it's by the work of righteousness of Christ in us. He's done something in us. And he says to Peter in the New Testament, Peter, do not call unclean what I have made clean. That's profound. That's powerful. And that is for you and me, life-changing. He's saying, you, you, yes, you confess your sin, but once you do, I forget it, I cleanse you, I wash you, I make you pure. And once you're pure, no longer grovel in, I'm terrible sinner, I'm lost, I'm no good. I, I did this wrong and I did that wrong. No, then you're doing what Jesus told us not to do. You're calling what he made clean, unclean. And so learn to realize who you are in Christ, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Say that to yourself even every day. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And, and when sin comes to you, you turn it over to the Lord. You bring it into his presence. You bring your problems into his presence. You bring his sin into his sanctuary and you find healing and cleansing in that place. You say, well, that doesn't make sense because I'm wavering. How can I say I'm not wavering? It sounds like I'm not telling the truth. Well, Martin Luther and the reformers in the 1600s, 15 and 1600s, uh, began to teach something called simultaneously righteous and a sinner. Luther said, I'm simultaneously a righteous man and a sinner. God has given me a new nature that is clean and pure and righteous, but that old man is still within me, and they wrestle against one another, and maturity and sanctification is causing this power of righteousness to grow while this one begins to decrease. You're, you're, you're seeing the glory and the presence and the goodness and the love and the mercy and the righteousness of God increase in your life, and you're seeing the temptation and the giving into it and the wavering begin to reduce time and time again. Yes, you have now a new nature in Christ Jesus. And yes, there are shadows of the old nature still lingering around, still following you as a shadow follows the body. But it's just a shadow. It's not the real you. It's not the one you confess, this is who I am, I'm that shadow. You're saying, no, I'm righteous in Christ. To be able to say with David, I walk in my integrity, I trust in the Lord without wavering is a powerful way to live your life. It's a truth that you need to walk in. And when you walk in that truth, it brings greater joy, greater victory, and greater power over the next time the enemy comes and tries to rob you of your testimony and rob you of that righteousness that Christ has provided in you. Others call this positional righteousness versus practical righteousness or alongside practical righteousness. The positional righteousness is that Jesus uh, on the cross, died for you, forgave you, cleansed you, washed you, and now you're a new creation with a new heart, the law within your heart, a desire to obey, a hunger to walk in him, a passion for the things of the Lord. That's your position in Christ. And now he's teaching us through the process of sanctification to walk out that positional righteousness. And the practical righteousness needs to grow in us. And, and But the positional righteousness is our claim to righteousness, that we are righteous, that we are not unrighteous, that we are not unholy, that we are not like these men he's talking about in falsehood, hypocrites, evildoers, sitting with the wicked, scheming evil devices of lewdness and sinister schemes of perversity. No, that's not who we are. <laughs> We've been made new, hallelujah. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we claim that both positionally and now we're seeing it happen practically. It's not as if the Holy Spirit positionally made us righteous and now leaves us to our own devices to become practically righteous. No, the same Spirit that made us positionally righteous is working in you and I 
to make us positionally, excuse me, to make us practically righteousness. It's working out. We're seeing it more and more. We're, we're moving away more and more from the things. We're more, more like David here. He'll say, I hate that way of living, that old way of living, and I'm loving the new presence of the Lord in my life, and I want more and more of it. And the, the outcome then of practical righteousness is important because we need to be able to say, I walk in my integrity. What are we going to say? I, as Christians, we walk around, I walk around without any integrity. Uh, I'm wavering all the time. I don't trust in the Lord. Well, that's not much of a testimony. And, and, and maybe it's a sign that you've never had a real relationship with Jesus who, who positionally and practically changed your life through the power of Holy Spirit. And maybe you need today to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've not really surrendered my life to you. I've not really been drawn into the family of God, and I ask you to allow me to do that this very day. And the outcome of that should be able to, to, to not only say it, not only to claim it, but, but actually to realize it's happened in your life. I have integrity. Uh, I don't believe I'm being boastful. I don't believe I'm being arrogant here right now to say I, I'm a man of integrity. I'm a man who trusts in the Lord. I'm a man who doesn't waver in the Lord. Yes, I have my, my seasons where there are things that seem to come against me, but, but all in all, the, the, the larger truth of my life is that there's a righteousness that God has imputed into me and has caused me to be able to stand faithful and true without falling, without wavering in certain things, without falling into these things that, that David was being called into by these wicked men. Come on over to this side, commit sexual sin, immorality, no. You can be able to say, no, I'm not doing that. The last thing I would say about David's claim to integrity here that we can share as well is, as I said, it's not a sinless perfection, but it is a sense of, in these accusations, I am innocent of them. He's pleading a case. You can almost picture this like in a courtroom. And in this courtroom, he's saying, uh, the, the accuser comes and says, uh, this man did this, he stole that, he robbed that, he, uh, the, 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 the lewdness of this, the perversion of that. He, he did all these things and they're bribing the judge against you and, and, and yet you go to a higher court. David takes it to a higher court, he takes it to the Lord and, and, he, and he's asking God, now you, I want you to vindicate me. No matter what men think of me, if you know my heart, if you, if you claim me righteous, then my heart is at peace no matter what anybody says about me. And so, so, so David is in this courtroom and they're accusing him and he's saying, I, I didn't do these things. I didn't do these things that these men are saying that I did. I, I, I'm, I'm not that man. I'm a different man. I listed out here what David claims. So you, you picture him, he's going into the court of the Lord and the evil men have proposed their, their, their schemes against him and their judgments against him and their case against him. And he pleads his case, and look what he says here. I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted in the Lord. I've walked in your faithfulness. I was innocent. I washed my hands in innocence. I go around your altar. I proclaim thanksgiving. I tell of your wonderful deeds. I tell of the place where your glory dwells. My feet stand on level ground. Uh, and then he goes on to say, and, and not only on top of that, I don't sit with these liars. I don't consort with these hypocrites. I don't sit with these wicked men. And I hate the assembly, what these men are assembling to do. I hate this, what's happening here today. That's his integrity. He can claim that. You know what? It's important, friends, because a lot of Christians think that they're the imputed righteousness or the positional righteousness is sufficient. Well, if there's no practical righteousness, I would suggest to you there never was any positional righteousness. In other words, you have not been transformed by the renewing of your mind through the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansing you, washing you, giving you a new life, a new family, a new kingdom in Christ. And, and, and so 
if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're not walking in, in righteousness, if we're not able to say some of these things that David just listed off here, then, then we need to examine our hearts to see, as Paul said to the Christian friends he wrote to, to examine to see if you actually are in the faith. I don't mean sinless perfection or walking in perfection of all these things that, 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 that you're without error, that you're without slipping at times, but, but, but you're on solid ground. We see that later on. We talks my foot, verse 12, my foot stands on level ground. Here I am. I'm on this rock that is Christ Jesus. And so he, he, he is claiming his innocence in the accusations that are against him. Not necessarily innocence in everything he's ever done in his life, but he's cleansed, he's washed, and he's able now to stand free in Christ Jesus. He does something bold next. And I, I want to encourage you to do this as well. If you're willing to be bold with me for a second, we're going to go beyond the cry of vindication or declare me innocent or the ability to say I walk in my integrity. Now he, he goes on and says, prove me. Uh, it, it's, it, it, prove this. Let, let's prove this is a reality. In other words, you're going to declare me innocent, but let's prove it now. Let, let, let everyone see that I'm walking this out. Let's, let's go for days. Let's go for weeks. Let's go for months. Let's go for years. Not an up and down, in and out, but Lord, let prove that I can be faithful and then try me. Try, try, try this out. Try, try, try me, Lord, to, to see what's in my heart, to see if there's any wicked way in me. Try me. Look inside of me. I, I was reading Hebrews this past week and that passage of scripture there where it says the, the word of the Lord is a, a two-edged sword and it's able to, to pierce and to penetrate. And I'd always read that as being like a really uh, kind of a cool thing is the, the word is is, is, is sharp in my life. But, you know, when you think of that, it's a sword. It's a, it's a weapon. And not only is it a weapon, but it's penetrating. That's painful. And it's piercing. And it's dividing things. The, this is, this is a, a, a coarse text. This is a, a rough text. It's a painful text, if you will. And that's, David is willing to say that. Pry, prove me. Try me. And this word test is a, the same word that's used oftentimes uh, to... to Bring me through a refining fire. Burn away the dross. In other words, he's saying, vindicate me. I'm in integrity. I trust in the Lord without wavering. But, but, but there's still some things in there. You see, it's not sinless perfection, but it's a willingness to say, God, this, this sin that is remaining in me, I, I want you to burn it out. I, I can claim righteousness because of what you've done for me. And positionally, you're helping me walk it out. Morally, I'm a, I'm a new person. I don't act the way I used to act but I, but I want you to yet send me through. I want you to yet send me through that refining fire. I want you to take me to that place once again where you burn the, the, the dross, the things that don't belong. And the Bible says that it's, you're in that furnace seven times. And the good news is you come out pure, pure, pure. You're, you're being tested. You're being tried. You're going through that furnace, that fiery furnace. Oh, but you're coming out as pure gold. You're coming out with, a, with a, a greater ability to rejoice, a greater ability to, to walk in holiness, a greater ability to have the power of the Holy Spirit functioning in your life. Test my heart and my mind. Uh, the things I think, God, refine what I think. My heart, my emotions, my desires, my passions. Test them, God. I, I, I don't trust my own heart, my own mind. I, I want you to purify it so that it's exactly what you wanted to be. I want to bring honor to you. I want to bring glory to you. I want your name to be magnified in my heart, my life, my behavior, my mind, my thinking, my thoughts, my speech. Everything, God, would magnify you. Verse 3, 4, your steadfast love is before my eyes. How is he able 
to ask the Lord to vindicate him without fear? Why doesn't he hide from the Lord like Adam and Eve did when they sinned? How can he claim integrity? All these things we're talking about, the reason he's, his heart moves in these directions of what we said he could do is because the, his eyes are on the Lord and that he sees the steadfast love of the Lord. He doesn't see the, just the judgment of the Lord, although God is a judge. He doesn't see the, the wrath of the Lord, although God is wrathful. Oh, what he sees is that because he's become a son, now he's seeing that the steadfast love of the Lord is faithful to him. And that's what he keeps before his eyes. I love this. He doesn't keep the accusations. He doesn't reminisce over them over time and time, remunerating over them time and time again, uh, trying to figure out how to solve these things. He said, Lord, I'm offering them up to you. And, and, and I'm going to keep my eyes, and rather than on these things and, and on the solutions, I'm going to keep my eyes on you and allow you to be the solution for me. And it's your love that provides this. It's this atmosphere of being loved. When you know you're loved, there's, there's something you can do that you can't do when you feel uncertain about being loved and accepted as part of the beloved of God. And I walk in your faithfulness, part two of verse three. I'm, I'm looking at you, reminiscent of Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's saying, I'm walking in your faithfulness. The reason I can say I have integrity of my heart is because your faithfulness is providing that for me. The reason I can trust you to test me and purify me is because I believe your faithfulness is going to do this. The reason I, I can wash my hands in innocence and, and, and hate the things of the evildoers around me and not participate in the lewdness of the culture around me and not go back to the party scene when I'm, when I'm down or tempted. I, I can do that, Lord, because your faithfulness is, is in me. I'm walking in your faithfulness. It's a gift you've given to me. It's a power you've given to me. It's an impartation of your presence in my life. So he washes his hand, and, and, and here's what he does. As he's looking to that faithfulness, rather than dwelling on it, rather than spending all his wor worried, anxious moments about it, whether he, rather than having sleepless night, he says, I wash my hands of it. Uh, Lord, I'm going to trust you with the vindication of this thing, and then I'm going to go about my life in the most important, most powerful, most glorious way. I'm going to wash my hands in innocent, and then I'm going to go around your altar. The altar is that place where they sacrificed for their sins, and the altar is that place of the presence of the Lord. The altar is where they would burn that, that offering of the Lord, the, offer, the, the, the place of testing, if you will, that refining fire of the heart. And he's just He's, he's circling the way the children of Israel circle around Jericho. Just we're marching, we're marching around this thing. We're, we're, we're viewing, we're, we're, we're letting it penetrate our hearts. Our minds are in this place. We're just, it's almost like the, the prayer life that I have sometimes. I, I can't kneel sometimes. I can't sit sometimes. I have to get up and just pace back and forth, just walking. Sometimes at church and prayer meetings, uh, I like to go to the back of the auditorium and just walk back and forth, just rejoicing at that altar, at his presence. And then not only that, it's not only a personal thing, but now you begin to proclaim thanksgiving aloud and tell of his wonderful deeds. You begin to testify, man, I, these evil men tempted me to come back into the world. And, and, I, and, and by the faithfulness of the Lord and by his steadfast love, I was able to come into his presence once again and wash my hands of these things. That's why I'm calling this message today to, to, to bring your problems into the presence. 
to, to be able to do that because that's the only place you can truly wash your hands from the residue of filth in the world, the lewdness and the perversity of the world around you, the party world around you. The only way you can wash your hands of that is by coming into his presence. Rather than staying in your own presence trying to figure it out, you're going around the altar and you're proclaiming, he saved me, he set me free, he washed me, telling of his wonderful deeds, he's good, he's powerful, he's a redeemer, he, he cleanses, he, he purifies us, he changes his wonderful deeds. And, and not only the wonderful deeds in your life, but you take the word of God and say, he was wonderful. He took Adam and Eve who had departed from him and rather than curse them, he woos them back into his presence. He talks to them, he calls them out. Adam, where are you? It's the calling, it's, it's, it's David when he fails the Lord and David sends Nathan to him and says, thou art the man. And David is able to confess his sins to the Lord. Against you, Lord, against you only I have sinned. And you're rehearsing all these things that God has done. You're rehearsing Hebrews 11, this, 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 these great men and women of faith who, who, who conquered kingdoms and Moses who, who led the people of Israel out and the Red Sea split. You're just thinking all these things God has done historically and in my life and you're proclaiming them. That's why I love that God has called me to preach the gospel because I get to tell of his wonderful deeds. And I am telling you today, God is doing wonderful deeds in your life. You come into his presence. You bring your problems into his presence and you will find he's going to do wonderful deeds. This is not just history. This is not just past tense. This is a present tense thing. I'm telling not just of his wonderful deeds he's done, but a present tense. I'm telling he's doing it now, even today. Even right now as I'm preaching to you, God is changing situations to be able to bring you to that place God desires you to be an overcomer, triumphant in your faith. Why, why does David go into the presence of the Lord with his problems? Well, verse eight says, oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house. Man, I, I just love to come into the house of the Lord. Yes, this speaks of the congregation. It speaks of the assembly. It speaks of the church coming into the worship service, coming into the prayer meeting, coming into that. Now, we live in a culture where there's less opportunity for that. When I was a little boy, we used to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then we had what was called Royal Rangers on Friday night, a group of young Young men met together and were, were mentored by older men in the Lord. And, 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 and so there was this opportunity to come into the habitation of the Lord more often. And so, the, yes, that, that is the presence of the company of the believers. What a glorious and good thing it is. But it's more than that. It's, it's coming into the house of the Lord, come, coming in sometimes in a small group of prayer. Sometimes it's, 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 it's in a cafe and you're talking to somebody about the word, word and you just pray together and it's the, it's the Lord is dwelling in that habitation, spending time with God, with others. Sometimes it's alone in what the Bible calls that secret closet, that prayer. You close the door behind you and you're in his house. And, and, and the good news about this, is it's the place where your glory, chapter 26, verse 8, the second part, and the place where your glory dwells. Mm. The glory, the glory here, this Hebrew word kavad, it means the weightiness of God, the thickness, the, the presence. And that presence is, is the presence of everything that he is. He's sweet, he's precious, he's good, he's powerful, he's wonderful, he's present, he's loving, he's, he's kind-hearted, he's, he's all these things. And there's a thickness of that presence. In other words, you're in this presence Maybe you have your eyes closed. Maybe you're on your knees and that, that glory comes. Maybe you're in your car driving and all of a sudden that glory just bombards that car, car of yours. It fills it. And, and, and it's this place where, <clears throat> where his glory dwells. That place where his glory dwells is now your heart, the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
living within you and it walks with you and it talks with you and it abides with you and it, and it changes you and it transforms you and it refines you. And that's the glory of God. Man, when, when you see the glory of God, you lose your taste for everything of the world. The money, mammon, is, as Jesus called it, it, no longer becomes your idol, fame, success, your, your gifts and callings. You're certainly thankful for the capacity that God's given you to, and skills he's given you, but you count those all as dung, as Paul said. You, 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 you get a taste of this, this glory, and you just don't want anything else. The, the, just, you're seeing his beauty uh, you're seeing his power. You're seeing things that you've never sen sensed before. Never, there's no kind of high in the world that compares to this, to this glory that dwells, this glory that dwells. And that's why he, he goes on to say, Lord, don't sweep me away with sinners. In other words, don't, don't let me be put in that. That's in verse 9. Don't let me be put in that category. Keep me in this category where I dwell with you. That's, that's where I can claim integrity because I dwell with you. That's where I can claim I don't waver because you're not sweeping me away. Your faithfulness is keeping me. Hallelujah. Your faithfulness is keeping me in this place where your glory dwells. And, and, and then he says at the end of this, the last few things I want to say today, verse 11. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. He, he repeats it. He repeats it. He, he, he starts off by saying, I have walked in my integrity. And now he's saying, and I shall walk in my integrity. In other words, he trusts that God's going to keep him until the final day, until the end. God is faithful. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until that final day. He's going to, he's going to bring you home. He's going to bring you, and, and not just hanging on by your fingernails, barely making it like a cat in a tree. No, no, you are going to make it with victory where his glory is dwelling, where you're in that habitation and talking about all the wonderful deeds that God has provided for you in your life. And I'm going to walk in this, he says. I'm going to walk in this. And then he just, he says, Lord, to ensure this, would you do these two things for me? Redeem me. In other words, buy me back from all of these accusations. Buy me back from all of these, these falsehoods against me. Buy me back so that I could be on, the next verse he says, on level ground. So redeem me is one thing he asks. And he says, and be gracious to me. Continue to be great. Lord, if, you're, if your grace abounds, sin won't abound. If your, if your grace abounds, guilt won't abound. If your grace abounds, worry and anxiety won't abound. Where the grace of your glory and your presence abides, the, the, the things that pull me in, the problems will, will, will grow faint and dim and the glory of the Lord will come alive like never before in your life. As a result of that, we can close by saying, we can say with King David, my foot stands on level ground. It's not up and down. It's not in and out. It's not an uphill battle sometimes or a slippery slope, but other times it's level. It's solid. It's that rock that is your foundation. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. You're going to be able to say, I, 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 I see the glory of the Lord. And once I fix my eyes on that, it, it just, my tastes change. My desires change. My ambitions change. I, I want more of this. I see this, like David said, it's better to be one day in that house where his glory dwells than a thousand days in my own striving for success or power or fame or fortune or the good life or the better life. Uh, no, I want that glory because that's where my foot is solid. That's where I can bless the Lord. And, and the outcome of this kind of life is a life that knows to give thanksgiving to the Lord. I thank you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. And let's just close by doing that right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that we can... Together, say, I bless you, Lord. 
because all of these good things that you've said to us through Psalm 26 today are not of our own doing. They are the faithfulness of the Lord. They are the solid rock that we set ourselves on. It's the loving kindness of the Lord. And Lord, we attach ourselves to that and we are filled now with your glory, the sense of majesty, the sense of the beauty of Jesus, that, that he founded our faith. He gave us the gift of faith so that we could enter into this life. And now he's not only the founder, but he's the perfecter of our faith. And what else could we say that you've tested and tried us and, and, and are cleansing us and making us righteous and holy and giving us more glory and power? What could we say? But I will bless the Lord at all times and my soul shall continually give thanks to you for you are good, you are gracious, you are bounding in love and mercy. And we cast our cares upon you now. All of our problems we bring into your presence. And as we bring them into the presence, we see a glory that, that changes our worldview. We, what we fix our eyes, our minds, our thoughts, our heart on changes because we found something so much better than dwelling in that place of conflict and strife and anxiety. Thank you, God, for the work you're doing in our life. And we pray that, Lord, as we gather next time and look at Psalm 27, we, we see powerful text there, and it's going to continue to change our life. I thank you that the preaching of the Word is not just in, in, uh, information or an intellectual pursuit of trying to discern things that it says, but, Lord, it is life-transforming. It is powerful. It is a sharp, two-edged sword, and it's piercing our heart today, and we thank you. It's piercing us, causing the, the, the problems and the pulls to be pulled away and the glory, the presence, the kavah, the weightiness of God coming more into life. Give thanks for that. We bless you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Grace and peace to you.